The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonall. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought. It's the way you think, not what you've got, yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Get your money mind right here. Bingo. And unlock your wealth radio. I am she, your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagon Halls, and I am flanked by the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, folks. And we are going to help you get your money mind right on today's show with the following great features. We have an outstanding interview about millionaires. If you like millionaires, we're going to talk to Mark Kenny about millionaires. We have a key this week. We have an investor word of this week. But first, before all of that, we have a giveaway this week. So if you like free stuff and our 13th key in our Keys to Riches financial philosophy is become a voracious reader, I'm going to help you with a free book from our sponsor, Audible. So all you have to do to get your free book is visit audibletrial.com forward slash unlock your wealth and you can get your special offer for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners. You can choose from up to 150,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That website again is audibletrial.com forward slash unlock your wealth. What is this week's key? Um, no seasonal exceptions. That it is. And what a perfect time for this key to yes, be rolling is. around, wouldn't you agree? Really? Holiday season. I know. And uh, this is where we get into so much trouble. The reason why the key is structured where it is is because it follows last week's key, which is break the budget. And so once we break the budget and create a healthy savings and spending plan, we have to avoid our biological drives to keep that budget in place. And that's what this key is for. No seasonal exceptions. It's a tough one. When I say it, It's like the Swedish chef from the Muppets. So, yes. So, uh, the Keys to Riches went from radio to Facebook Live. Yay! So, if you want to learn more about this week's key in our Keys to Riches financial philosophy, all you have to do is visit our fan page at facebook.com forward slash unlock your wealth radio, where we will do the key on Facebook live. And you can also interact with me. You can ask me anything, whether it's about that key or something else. Maybe you missed last week's and you have a question about breaking the budget or whatever it is. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, briefly, the keys to riches is a financial philosophy that teaches you how to think like the rich and be in control of your own money. It also gives you specific techniques to 
create or fix your credit, eliminate debt, save and invest, all while transforming your current financial habits into healthy money management skills. And we do this one week at a time, one key at a time on our Facebook Live at facebook.com forward slash unlock your wealth radio. So join in the fun. These things are really starting to take off. People are really enjoying having a Facebook show of the Keys to Riches. And it's really cool because if you have really great questions, I can beam you in now. It's neat. Yeah, and so you can, you know, I mean, you can be big... on the Unlock Your Wealth live show. Yeah, the the live thing on the on streaming live on the internet. That's where it's at. It's super cool. The features are just amazing. What you can do now these days. You need to make sure that you're on Wi-Fi so both parties can jump in. I know I will be because I'll be in studio filming. But for those that are just um, jumping into the broadcast. Uh, you can listen and watch on your regular phone, but if you want to be able to hop in, you have to be on Wi-Fi mm-hmm. uh, so they can have a constant stream to port you in. Your phone service won't be able to get you in. Uh, it depends on how good a coverage you have. If yeah. you're not on the LTE, super high, yeah. awesome, deaf, cool. whatever bandwidth, yeah. Uh, then it's really tough to beam in. We were having some challenges yesterday with someone else trying to beam me in and I was not in a good area and I was not on Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't able to get in on the, on their broadcast. So just throwing that out there. Yeah. But it's worth your time to stop by. It'll be awesome. Cool. We'd love to have you. So moolah, we're the day. What we, we have a recession for our moolah, word of the day. A recession is a period of general economic decline, typically defined as a decline in gross domestic product, or what they call GDP, for two or more consecutive quarters. So that would be six months. Mm -hmm. A recession is typically accompanied by a drop in the stock market, an increase in unemployment, and a decline in the housing market. A recession is generally considered less severe than a depression, and if a recession continues long enough, it is often then classified as a depression. There is no one obvious cause of a recession, although overall blame generally falls on the federal leadership, often either the president himself, the head of the Federal Reserve, or the entire administration. But, you know, here, I got a quick quiz for you. Yeah. Or did you have a question? No. Oh, okay. So uh, I have a quick quiz. What is the difference between a recession and a depression? That's a good question. (laughs) You want me to answer it for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference between a recession and a depression is in a recession, your neighbor is out of work. In a depression, (laughs) you're out of work. (laughs) But I'm dumped. (laughs) <laughs> it was not really a quiz. It was more like a joke. But you played along well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So are you fascinated? Whoop. Where did that go? Uh, to where phones, the fourth dimension of socks. <laughs> so uh, millionaires. You like money, Michael? I love money. <laughs> I love money, too. I mean, the more the more you make, the more you the Greedier, and the more you want to hold on to it, too. I've been noticing this. Well, it's not about greed. Yeah, it could be the wrong It's word. about security. Yeah. The more you have, the more you would like, right? If we just interchange, see, that's semantics play a lot into our financial fears. We hear these 
isms, if you will, these money isms that uh, or adages, you know, like uh, a penny saved is a penny earned, mm-hmm. you know, things like that, um, uh, that prohibit people. You know, a penny saved is a penny earned sounds like a great financial adage. But what does that keep doing? It keeps you restricting what you should be enjoying. If you have worked hard and have managed your money effectively, it's okay to spend some of it, especially on yourself, to do what makes you happy, to do what brings Mm -hmm. joy into your life. So what I have found in my uh, triumphs, and tribulations with money is that it's fluid and you need to keep it moving. And and so to your point about like having to hoard it, yeah, you know, that is not a that's not a healthy money mindset. No. First. And second, usually when we're trying to hang on to something, our grip loosens eventually and it slips away from us. So we have to be confident and we have to go forth and invest in ourselves and in others in their endeavors so we can reap the benefits and create more security. But money has to be moving in order to make us secure. But, but the, the assumption is that we have to hang on to it or we have to hoard it. And and that's a challenge um, because it's contradictory to how money works because money is a tool and, and tools need to be used and you got to work your tools yeah. or work with your tools. So that's a big challenge. But, you know, guess how many millionaires there are? How many? In America, the U.S. specifically, there are 13,554,000. 13 or 30? One three. 13,554,000 millionaires in the United States alone. Now, does that include families or just personal personal millionaires? It's not delineated to that point, but some of them were born into money, but most are self-made. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Additionally, these millionaires are not just lottery winners, and the money didn't come as a particular windfall to them. Most of them had to earn it. So it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, you know, here's another statistic um, that I often cite when I start doing my goal achievement workshops, and that is that 87% of college graduates are millionaires, but not all millionaires are college graduates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Right. So there's the 13%. You know, I'm a, yeah. I call myself a 13%er because I didn't finish college. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that my education didn't stop there. You know, I find myself that it's curious how I didn't get the, quote, formal education yet when I've been working with different psychologists, brain researchers, scientists about my work that I do. um, I find that often um, I keep pace with them. But sometimes I'm ahead of the curve because I've studied more research. I've read more reports. You know, I subscribe to all the professional journals that have to do with brain and behavior and neuroscience. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing to me how people put so much faith into having a college degree. But whether or not you have a college degree, you can still be a millionaire. Because most of the people that I know that have college degrees don't even work in their given profession. Right. You know, one of my friends who is an Emmy award-winning cinematographer just – shared with me that his degree is in biology. (laughs) And I don't know how much that has to do with camera lenses, but yeah. There's a lot of great musicians that majored in 
God knows what, you know. You know what else I think is that, or what's interesting, if college is the be-all, end-all, why aren't all college graduates millionaires? Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's been become, if you've noticed that the shift societally is you must go to college. That's why student kids are in so much student loan debt. They come out of college owing fifty to $70,000 that their parents kind of foisted on them and they really didn't even want to go. It's really yeah. kind of an unfortunate scenario. Yeah. But to solve that, regardless of whether you go to college, we have an amazing guest coming on. Financial professional Mark Kinney, co-founder of SHP Financial in the Boston area, is here with some millionaire money lessons to help us learn how to create the Lux life for ourselves. Mark, welcome to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. We're talking about one of my favorite subjects, money. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We're going to talk about money and my favorite topic, which are millionaires. And what, when it comes to success and achieving millionaire status, what do millionaires know that the rest of us just don't? I think there's a few things that differentiate millionaires from the average person. I think it starts with education. Uh, what a lot of millionaires tend to do that the average person doesn't do is actually talk about money. There seems to be a taboo subject, uh, money, and a lot of people don't feel that uh, it should be taught in the home and maybe even in the school. Uh, millionaires tend to teach their children uh, you know, different ways to make money. So I think they start off with that education, and then from there they can utilize that and make the correct decisions in, in uh, becoming wealthy. So what are some of the things that millionaires are teaching their children that average Americans aren't? That's a great question. So I think it comes down to an overall plan. Um, the set it and forget it method, uh, which is talked about in many books, um, is, is the simplest way to accumulate wealth with a set strategy. And basically what it is, is paying yourself first, right? So you want your money to grow. And when you can put it into the correct vehicles uh, and pay yourself first, you're going to see the most success. So I think just setting up those automatic contributions, whether it be to retirement accounts or 529 college savings plans, or even non-qualified accounts, you learn to live off of less money and you're automatically, you know, contributing money to a plan that's going to grow. Um, if, correctly invested. Okay. So, well, what about, so I'm paying myself first or the thought is to pay myself first. How does the average American who is drowning in debt and pays their debt first ever going to be able to save? What do they need to do to transition to think like a millionaire? Great question. So first off, you have to understand what your liabilities are. Um, those are debts that have to be met. And then from there, you have to decide, you have to look at your income and budget appropriately. So a lot of millionaires will utilize a simple thing as a budget worksheet, understanding what their expenses are, finding ways to minimize those expenses, which creates more income. You need money to make money. Um, obviously, people who are born with money are at a better advantage, but we're seeing more and more self-made millionaires nowadays because of the resources out there, because there's information information readily available on the internet. There's Susie Orman, there's, you know, Jim Cramer. There's information out there that you can access that will make yourself um, better educated and will allow you to accumulate wealth. So, so 
how do I, um, so, so I think you said the word a little bit before uh, about creating a budget. You know, I think that the, mm-hmm. the mindset of the average American is that, well, of course it's easy to make a budget when you're a millionaire because you have lots of money. So how does one overcome yep. that hurdle? Well, I mean, again, it's understanding what your restrictions are. Also, it's, you know, learning that a dollar today, you know, given certain timeframes is worth two to four to eight dollars, right? So you have to realize, differentiate between what a need is and what the want is. I think we've seen that millionaires don't tend to have impulsive purchases. They tend to think about the purchase that they're making and the money that they do put away are used more into asset vehicles than liabilities, right? And there's certain uh, formulas that I think the millionaires or or the more educated uh, people will use, um, you know, Simply like when buying a home, how to, you know, how to budget for a home and what you can afford. It's not what the bank tells you what you can afford. It's, you know, what you can easily afford within your, um, within your income restraints and, um, understanding how much should be spent on liabilities like cars and stuff like that. Uh, I see a lot of clients tend to purchase cars that they probably shouldn't afford. Uh, a car is a depreciating asset. Any money that you put in there, you're never going to see back. Could that money be better suited put into a retirement plan or an investment plan where that money can actually grow. So these are things that the wealthier people look at. Uh, We understand that there's bills to pay, you have to feed your children, but understanding where your money's going is going to allow you to be more transparent and allow you to think of ways to save money. We all have income restraints. Even the millionaires, you know, have to live within the money that they make. Um, but again, coming in, in using a plan will help you do that. And again, I, I work with a lot of clients that have different incomes, uh, different uh, objectives, and we all try to fit within you know what they need and what you know how their money can best be suited to to accumulate wealth and reach their financial goals. You are listening to Mark Kenny on Unlock Your Wealth Radio, and this segment is sponsored in part by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown with this special offer for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners. Visit our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash keepmyid and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. So what um, what other things that... Um, Let's talk about, you know, um, isms. You know, I call them money isms, but there are some, you know, beliefs that millionaires have about money that's different than what the average American thinks or believes about money. Give us some of those examples. Yeah, I believe that, you know, millionaires look at money as an ally, right? They look at that. Those money is their friend. They're going to protect money as much as they can. I mean, I think Warren Buffett's first rule of investing is don't lose money. It's it's too hard to to make back. Um, and again, where the middle class or or um, lower tend to again stay away from the subject, they're clear of thinking. They look at money as um, you know. Uh, 
not some not their friend. Again, it's it's a negative topic. They tend to you know stay away from it. They don't talk to their friends and family about it. And again, they don't want to you know open up their mind. Imagine if we did the same for you know medical. Uh, if we didn't seek out information from people smarter than us and more educated in that field, you know how much of a, a difference that would make. So again, I I tend to think that people should you know, look for advisors who have more experience, um, who have more expertise in the matter, and they can add a lot of value to your um, financial goals. So, so there's a, a, a perfect topic that I wanted to talk about. So do millionaires set goals? And if they do, what kind of goals do they set? Well, everyone's going to have different financial goals. Um, I think one pressing issue now that we're seeing is that people want to be able to retire. Uh, we can rely less on less on pensions. More and more, you know, companies aren't offering pensions. So the onus of retirement falls on you. Social Security is only going to cover maybe 15 to 20% of that. So it's really important that clients or, or the normal person understands that they basically have to create a paycheck for themselves in the future. Um, in that, you know, setting these goals and writing them down has, you know, proven that they're more um, likely to accomplish these goals. And then tracking them, you know, checking in every six months to a year, making sure they're on pace, um, looking at what their account is valued at and what it can be worth. Something that we do here at SHP Financial is when we sit down with a client in the first and second meeting is show, okay, here's what you have in assets. This is what it can be worth, you know, given average returns in, you know, five years, in 10 years. And that creates a lot more transparency where now they can say, okay, maybe I need to save more, you know, maybe I have 15 or 20 years left and I need to put away X amount. So it's breaking it down to the simple, simplest amount and then allowing them to, you know, utilize time. Uh, we all know that starting earlier is going to make a huge difference. Uh, a dollar saved today is probably worth about $2 in 10 years given average returns, but that same dollar over 30 years is probably worth 7 or $8 given average returns. So something that I stress to my clients and, again, stress to younger people is starting earlier. Uh, that allows compound interest to uh, allow your accounts to grow a lot quicker. So let's say that I'm an individual and I'm ready to start investing. There is a myriad of different strategies out there and there's a lot of different advice and the quality of financial advisors also makes a difference too. What are some good questions that an individual can use to ask a financial planner to see uh, how qualified they are and whether or not their investment strategies align with their beliefs? That's a great question, Heather. So uh, this is a question that has come up a lot uh, lately. I think there is a lot of people out there that call themselves financial advisors, but there's you know the top niche that kind of differentiates themselves from the competition. So what you want to ask first and foremost is, are they a fiduciary? So again, uh, I understand the rules are trying to change and they're trying to implement the fiduciary rule to the, um, the brokers out there. But right now, it differentiates us as an independent firm from a, from a broker is that we have to act in the best interest of the client. And we always have, you know, their best interests at heart. And we have to differentiate ourselves by that and kind of, you know, make an argument as to why we're putting them into the certain product. I also uh, am a certified financial planner. It's a designation that is um, differentiates ourselves from the other competitors. It's 
uh, highly looked upon. And I think in the future, um, you know, people will start to seek out uh, certified financial planners. And also you want to make sure that personalities fit. Um, you know, you're going to be, when you take on an advisor, we believe that at SHP Financial, we're taking on a client for life. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're sitting with the right people, people who value the advice of the financial advisor, who, um, you know, see the long-term goals, who are realistic in their expectations. And we want to work with good people, right? So um, I think these are certain certain things that you should ask of your financial advisor and uh, make sure that they understand what your financial goals are and how are they going to get you from point A to point B. It's all about adding value to your situation. There's tons of financial advisors out there. Um, what are they going to do to differentiate themselves and add value to your, um, your financial goals? That's great advice. So let's circle back real quick to the second question that you said that we should be asking, and that's, are you a CFP? What is the difference between a certified financial planner? What did they have to achieve from just your run-of-the-mill financial planner? Great question, Heather. So uh, there's a few different requirements in order to achieve the CFP status. Uh, first is education. So you definitely need a bachelor's degree um, or need to be finishing a bachelor's degree before you can call, call yourself a certified financial planner. So then is certain education requirements that you must take. I was lucky enough to um, take my CFP through Bryant University and uh, you could set your own pace. So it took about three years to get through the six topics on a uh, part-time basis. And then you have to show expertise in these topics. So there is an exam that uh, you must uh, pass. Uh, it is very stringent. I think the pass rate is only about 40%. But again, that's going to differentiate the average advisor um, so that you know you're working with someone who knows uh, the ins and outs of the different uh, financial topics um, that you're going to deploy in someone's situation. And lastly, there's the experience. So you need a certain amount of experience uh, in the field to be able to call yourself a certified financial planner. And then once you get the designation, um, it's not all done. So there is continuous assessment or continuing education requirements that must be met. Uh, I think currently it's 30 hours that you must do on minimum um, to meet the continuing education requirement uh, to stay with the CFP standard. And these are topics that um, are relevant to the financial industry and it's you know ever-changing um, parts. So, you know, that's really what differentiates a certified financial planner from a, you know, financial planner um, or financial advisor, uh, someone who calls themselves that. So would it be a fair question to ask what their personal track record is with their clients? I think everybody um, always asks about return. I think, again, everyone's going to have different financial objectives and financial goals. Now, return is obviously a huge thing, but you have to realize that some clients want to take on less risk or more risk in order to reach their financial goals. So track record as far as, you know, how much return have you got? I know when a client comes in and they first ask that question, they may not be the right fit because what they're looking for is, you know, the best rate of return. And again, that's going to differentiate. That's going to, you know, uh, depend on how much risk they're willing to take on, how much time frame they have, 
how this account fits in with their overall financial plan. And um, it shouldn't be the only metric that you measure. Again, you want to realize what value can be added by the clients. Uh, it's great if they can set up a plan in the beginning, but if they don't have the follow through. So we believe that we can only take on a few clients per month in SHP Financial because not only does it you know start when you start the plan, but it's the continuous follow-up every six months to a year. A lot of advisors or brokers will say, okay, great, the market's down 20%. Keep with the same allocation. Uh, we'll see you next year, and that's it. We believe that there's more to financial advising at SHP Financial, and we, again, continually meet with our clients every six months to a year to make sure that we understand any financial changes that have taken place and what are we going to do to get them to their financial goals. That's that's really a great way to look at it because, you know, your average return, if you averaged all your clients, may not be as spectacular if you do have folks that are more conservative and risk averse. So that was a, a great way to, to make people think about that. If there was one piece of financial advice that you had to give someone and it could only be one, what would it be? I would say start as early as you can. Again, um, nothing can substitute time. Um, you know, you can make a, a million dollars a day, but um, time is the one element that you can't get back, right? So exactly. uh, the earlier you start, the more likely you are to succeed. Well, thank you so much for our conversation today, Mark. It's been a pleasure learning about your uh, way of achieving financial freedom as well as our discussion about all the cool millionaires and what tactics they do. If folks want to get a hold of you, have more questions or are interested in pursuing investing, how do they find you? Yes, yeah, so uh, we have a website, shpfinancial.com. They'll find a lot of resources available to them, whether it be financial calculators, social security strategies, or different white papers that we have. Uh, so I welcome anyone with questions to uh, follow up with us, and um, we look forward to speaking with you. Outstanding. Thank you so much for dropping by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And for those of you who are driving around without a pencil, never fear. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is here where you can visit Mark's show page and click on the link to his financial advising firm and so much more. For the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2017 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealthradio.com.